Merry Christmas, and welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC. Thanks for joining us this week as we reflect on the birth of Jesus and all that that means for us. Our theme for Christmas is Finding Yourself in Christmas. And today, Matt Willis leads us in a reflection on what we can learn from Herod and the wise men. If you have your Bibles with you and like to turn to Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to be reading the uh, first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, good morning. And before we get started, can I give my own warm Merry Christmas for yesterday? I hope that whatever the day looks like, whoever that you were with, it filled up your cup, or at the very least, filled up your belly with all that amazing food. Well, today we are wrapping up in our series, Finding Yourself in Christmas. And I think that this has been a really significant reflection for us over the last three weeks to intentionally reflect on and consider the story of Christmas. Because I don't know about you, but as I started to hear the carol songs play and the decorations come out and the lights get turned on, I started to realise that in our wider world, there is a bit of a washed out version, a bit of a hallmark representation of the Christmas story where Jesus and his birth is more of a myth, more a thing of legend, more something that we pull out once a year so that we can feel warm and fuzzy because let's face it, babies are cute. But for us, as followers of Jesus, this is far more than just sentiment. This is far more than just a simple story that we read while standing around a Christmas tree. This is a retelling, a retelling of a pivotal moment in our history where the divine became human and God revealed to us his plans to restore and renew all things. And so it's a really important declaration, a really important invitation for us to consider 
how we might respond to the person of Jesus. Throughout this series, we have looked at different people who have witnessed Christ coming into the world and they have responded in a variety of different ways. And each example is an opportunity for us to learn how we might also respond to Jesus. And some of them are good and some of them not so much, but each provide a lesson to be learned an opportunity to deepen our discipleship and consider what it means to come and adore Him. And so today, as we seek to find ourselves in Christmas, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter two. And I encourage you, if you've got your Bible with you, open, open it up because we're gonna be spending a bit of time there. And there are two key responses in this passage that almost exist in complete contrast of one another. We have King Herod who kind of represents all of Jerusalem, an entire society who seemingly have been waiting, anticipating the birth of the Christ. And then we have these wise men, these magi from a foreign land who kind of come in in search of answers. Both respond to Jesus and both see a different invitation And in both of them, there is an opportunity for us to learn and grow. So to kick us off, I wanna start with King Herod. Now, King Herod was the king of Jerusalem and one of his titles was Herod, King of the Jews. So naturally, when these foreigners come in as they do in verse two and ask a seemingly simple question, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? It is actually not a simple question at all. It is not harmless at all. Ultimately, what these Magi are doing is that they are questioning Herod's own claim to the throne. His own sense of power and authority and control. And as a result, it says Herod is disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So why all this disturbance? Well, I think it's, it's fair to say that Israel as a nation has had a tumultuous history up to this point. They've had times of prosperity, but also times of persecution and exile. It's been peaks and troughs, ups and downs for hundreds and thousands of years. And even though Jerusalem falls under the occupation of the Roman Empire at this time, there is a sense of stability. And now all of a sudden, there is rumour, there is whispers from these foreign men that a new king has been born. And all of a sudden, that stability seems far more rocky. Because although we get the beauty of hindsight, we get to hear the message and the teachings of Jesus that his intention is not to come to bring an earthly kingdom, but an eternal one, the kingdom of God, What the expectation was for so many was that the Messiah would come and restore Jerusalem to its power and its glory and its position as God had planned for it, as God had kind of promised. So when they heard of a a child born King of the Jews, it meant that a usurper was coming And that all the stability, all the political, economic, social stability that they were kind of experiencing at that time was now called into question with a simple inquiry, where is the one who has been born 
king of the Jews. And more than anyone, King Herod felt that questioning the most. It was a direct threat to his own claim to power, his own claim to the throne. And as a result, we see him responding in quite a fearful way. Sure, at first in verse says, he says, hey, report to me when you find this Christ so that I too may go and worship him. But we know that that is not his intention. We know that he's got a bit more of a nefarious plan coming at play and to the point where the Magi are in fact warned in a dream to not go back to Herod. And later on in the gospel, we find out that Herod had a campaign of executing children born around the time of Jesus. This is a man who is fearful because he is fully aware of the cost and the consequence that comes from recognising who Jesus is. If he were to recognise the the credibility of Jesus as this born King of the Jews, it would mean that he would need to surrender everything, everything that he was, everything that he stood for, everything that he had, his crown, his power and authority, his control, his status, his influence. All of it would need to be surrendered if he acknowledged Jesus for what he was. And that cost that consequence was too much for Herod. And so he felt threatened, he felt fearful. And that is the heart in which he responds to Jesus. I think it's quite interesting. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but here is a man at the the heart of Jewish spirituality, Jerusalem, the holy city where the temple was. Here is a man who had access to scribes and scholars and religious leaders. Here is a society and their king who had everything that they needed in order to identify the coming of the child Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And yet it takes three randoms from another country to show up in his court and point out that they have noticed things that the Jewish prophets had declared, had foreseen. Herod could not see Jesus as the Messiah because if he responded to Jesus as the Messiah, it meant surrender. It meant handing everything that he was, everything that made him who he was, his very sense of identity over to Jesus. And he wasn't willing to do that. And we see that in his response. And I know that it's really easy to look at King Herod and kind of remove ourselves from him, distance ourselves from him. We kind of go, here is a man living in the extremes, responding in the extremes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm no king of any nation and, and I'm not losing my power and influence over an entire society if I respond to Jesus as Messiah. He kind of, he exists in the extremes. The cost and the consequence for him is extreme and his response is extreme to go about this campaign killing newborns. And so as a result, we can kind of go, well, it's the the exception, it's the extreme, it's almost hyperbole, like, but that's not me. 
But I think if we boil it down, boil down to the heart of what Herod is going through, I think we can start to empathise with him. Because I think we too, at times in our lives, have struggled with a sense of surrendering control. I mean, we live in this incredibly individualistic society where our sense of autonomy and authority and and self-power is imperative. We're told to clutch onto it with tight fists, never let it go, never give it up to anyone else. That is who you are, that is what defines you, that what makes you. When you have control over yourself, over your surroundings, over your choices and the way that you live, you are the best version of yourself. I don't know about you, but I can see this in in small ways. I mean, I feel my best. I, I feel like I am at my best when I know what my day looks like, when I've written my list, where I've got a sense of control over where I'm going, what I'm doing and what it looks like. And yet when I don't have that control, everything goes haywire. A sense of control and identity are kind of fused together in our society. And we're told never to surrender either. And sure, as much as I would affirm that you don't wanna give over your autonomy and your power to any Tom, Dick or Harry that you meet in the street, but we're not talking about surrendering to just some average Joe. We're talking about surrendering to the Messiah, handing over our control and our authority and our power to the one who has all control, all authority and all power. That is who we are responding to. And that's who Herod was responding to. He just couldn't quite get there. And sometimes we too can't quite get there. Sometimes the social costs, the resource costs of our time, our abilities, just even the the cost around the choices that we can make and, and the future that we might have seems all too much when it comes to responding to Jesus. And as a result, we too can be fearful. We too can feel threatened that we might lose ourselves if we surrender to Christ. But the scriptures say that we must die to ourselves in order to live in Christ. King Herod and Jerusalem would not have been surrendering to some tyrant, some new king who wanted to flaunt and exercise their power for their own gain. They would have been surrendering to a divine king, a God king, our God as king one whose whole purpose and plans are to, to provide and to do for things that, for those that they love. That is the God that we respond to. And so we need to learn, we need to be willing to surrender. Surrender to a God who keeps us safe, who outpours an overflow of love, and who will provide all that we need rather than being fear of the cost. We need to respond to a Christ where we have everything to gain. Which brings me to the second response in this passage, the Magi. 
Now for me, Hollywood and popular culture have kind of built this picture of these three wise men being these philosophical, almost airy-fairy individuals. You know, they're the people who just want to sit around and discuss existential questions about life and existence. Who are we? Why are we here? What does it all mean? People who want to exist in the grey, who are comfortable in the grey. I mean, many commentaries would say that they are priestly sages from Persia, and that almost just reinforces this philosophical stance of just asking questions and not getting any answers, really. But the truth is, is that these magi were more like scientists. They were astronomers. They were men who had spent their life researching, uh, growing in their intellect and their understanding of the sky and what it all means. When they looked up at the heavens, they didn't wonder about the, the glory and the handiwork of God. When they looked up at the heavens, they saw reason. When they looked at the stars, they saw patterns and they saw predictability. These were men of logic. These were men of reason, of probability and, and rational thought. That is until a star that had no right being there shone brightest of all in the sky. And once they had exhausted all reason, once they had spent time filing over their own records, their own research, their own knowledge, their own understanding, once they reached the limits of their own capacity and their own control to know, they had to make a choice. They had to respond. They could either respond the same as Herod, fearful and threatened, threatened by the idea that maybe they don't know it all, that maybe their knowledge has limitations, fearful that the very foundations in which they had built their life, much like Herod, was being shaken all of a sudden. And yet, that's not what we see. What we see is three magi moving beyond reason into intuition, moving beyond science and into faith, moving beyond their comfort zone of knowledge, their own kingdom, their own philosophies and understandings, even their own religions and spirituality and coming to a foreign land of another king with another God with their own prophecies and understandings about how the world worked. And they asked questions. They were interested. They lent in to something that probably made them feel incredibly uncomfortable, into a situation that they probably felt like they had no control. And it led them to a stable with a newborn child and their response was to bow down and worship him. They had stepped beyond themselves, beyond their own understanding, beyond their own knowledge into the unknown. And what they saw left them in a state of such awe, of such inspiring wonder 
that their only response was to worship. When they were willing to step beyond their own wisdom, it led them to a place where they got to see the wisdom of God, where His plans and purposes were revealed. That, I think, is the invitation that we see in this story. That's where we want to find ourselves in Christmas, where the Magi find themselves, stepping out of themselves into a place that leaves them with the only option but to worship. But we're not going on any pilgrimages anytime soon. I mean, sure, the borders are opening up, but we're not necessarily going to foreign lands in order to ask these philosophical existential questions, these questions of reason, these questions of how the world works, what does it all mean? So how do we then do something so profound, so life-changing in the everyday? Well, I doubt I need to convince you that we live in a world that is pretty fast-paced. We live in a part of the world where we get privileged enough to be able to fill our days with activities, with socialising, with work, with all sorts of things that, that kind of fill us up. Some might stretch us, some might challenge us. But our days are full and they're fast paced. The time just disappears I literally had to sit through my middle child's graduation the other day. I swear he was born just yesterday. And yet time just seems to disappear. Days are going fast, weeks are moving by, and all of a sudden the year is coming to an end. And as a result, as followers of Jesus, we have found our own spiritual practices that are equally as quick fast little moments that we can have with God that we can just easily slot into our already full days. Uh, a quick prayer for someone as they come to mind. Uh, a phone that dings daily with a bite-sized Bible verse that I can just marinate on and percolate on. Uh, a podcast or songs of worship that I can listen to on my daily commute to work. Simple, small, fast practices that help us stay close to God. And those are amazing things. Those are helpful things. I use them regularly. Don't hear me saying that we should stop. But I wonder, in fact, I worry that maybe we use these practices exclusively that we only have these quick little slices of time in our day to give to God. And I think we actually need to consider returning to the practice of carving out space, to opening up space that, that is beyond ourselves, that is beyond our capacity, our understanding of what we think a Christian should look like, of what we think quality time with God should look like, that goes beyond our own lists of how our days need to go, but actually just carving out time to allow the wisdom of God to fill it. What I see in the Magi 
is that they were willing to carve out time to actually go beyond themselves, beyond their understanding and actually give space to God for Him to fill. And we need to do the same thing in our day-to-day, week-to-week spiritual practices. We need to be on purpose, intentional about giving God chunks of time, quality time for Him to fill in, not for us to fill. And it reminds me of the Psalm, be still and know that I am God. We live in a world that is not very still. It's always moving. But it is when we are still that we are able to best know God because it means we are creating space for Him to come in. When I was doing my counselling training, we learned a number of therapeutic techniques and the one that I use the most, it's incredibly complicated. It's silence. We are so ingrained to fill silence, aren't we? I don't know about you, but when I'm in a conversation, someone just needs to take a breath and I jump in with my own thoughts and reflections and ideas. And as a counsellor, you do the same. You have those same urges. But I was taught that just by being silent and still, it actually creates space for the other to share their story, their journey, their sense of self. And you get so much more out of that. And I think when we be still before God, if we're gonna be still before God, it needs to start with carving out that space. And when we sit in that space, to be silent, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and reveal Himself, for it not to be a a constant rapid fire of what we think we need, what we think God should be doing, how we think He should be working, where we think we see Him at work in our lives, but actually to just be quiet and to just sit and consider and listen for what the Holy Spirit might say to you. I think when we, when we carve out that time, when we're on, por- on purpose in that way, we will have an experience like the Magi where we go beyond ourselves, beyond our own understanding, our own sense of control over our situations and we will find ourselves in the very presence of God. When we move beyond our own wisdom, we get to experience the wisdom of God and in that, a revelation to know Him, to know Him deeply, to know His plans and how we can be a part of them. That's how the Magi responded. And that's how we are called to respond. Herod and the Magi, at the heart of it, it's about control. It's about whether or not you are willing to go beyond your own self sense of identity, your own self sense of autonomy and authority and actually surrender to God. Herod had status that he could not surrender. The Magi had knowledge and they were willing to surrender it. And where they found themselves was not fear, was not threat, but faith and worship. 
I don't know about you, but if I want to find myself in Christmas, that's where I want to be. I want to be bowing down and worshipping our King. It's been an incredible series and an important one for us as followers of Jesus to consider. This is not sentiment. This is not myth. This is not even just a story. This is the revelation of God's plan to restore all things. It is a significant moment in our history where God changed everything. And from the very moment that Jesus was born, people responded to Him, responded to His very presence, His very birth. We can learn from this church. We can learn from this story. And we can learn that we too are being invited to respond to Him. So can I encourage you to consider, where do you find yourself in Christmas? Two different responses to the birth of Jesus to maintain control out of fear or set it aside as a posture of faith. What will your response be this week? And if you will take a posture of faith, will you prioritize making time to be with God, to spend quantity time with Him, listening for His invitation? In a busy, status-filled world, these are profound challenges of faith. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. If you'd like to join us for one of our Sunday services, you can do so by logging on to www.gbconline.org.au at 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time each and every Sunday. Hope to see you then. God bless. God bless.